0: You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast. Well, I'm with Daryl Dash, and this is the third time, Daryl, that you've actually been on the podcast. So this sets the record for the most times a guest has been on the Monday Christian Podcast. So welcome back for your hat trick appearance. Man,
1: I am not used to being invited back. So this is really good.
0: (laughs) I appreciate it. This is new territory, huh? Um, Daryl's the the senior pastor of Grace Fellowship Church in Don Mills, uh, Toronto. He's also co-founder of The Gospel for Life, author of uh, multiple books, um, one, Eight Habits for Growth, and another uh, called How to Grow, which we'll talk about a little bit on our exchange today. So Daryl, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on though today, you've talked, you've wrote a lot on the topic of habits. As we start this new year, I know those in our audience that are listening or watching, they're struggling. Some some of them have had a hard 2023 and they're struggling to develop great devotional habits, great times of prayer and reading God's word. Number one, why are you so passionate about habits and how has that changed your life over the last several years?
1: Yeah, I there's so many ways to approach that question. I am um I, I'm somebody who really didn't have great habits and I remember being mentored by um, a theological professor and our first meeting, one of my friends begged him to mentor me and he kind of made an exception and said, okay, I'll mentor you. But You wouldn't have been my first pick basically, but I'll mentor you just because I've been asked to. And the first meeting he said, well, tell me about your devotional habits. And I said, well, I really don't have any and uh, I don't recommend this approach, but basically he shamed me. He said, you're studying to be a pastor who's going to help other people and you don't even have any habits yourself. And I remember his shock. And uh, I don't, again, I don't recommend this as a, uh, you know, guilt isn't a great motivator. It's a good short-term motivator, but not a good catalyst for permanent change. But, you know, there was a period of my life where I really didn't have good strong habits and just realizing recently that um, I remember reading the power of habit by Charles Duhigg and realizing Actually, there's something to be said for um, most of our life is lived on autopilot. 40% they say is lived on autopilot. And if you can dial in that 40% to actually be uh, helping you do the things you want to do as believers, if you can program that 40% to um, aid you in walking with the Lord, why wouldn't you do that? And so um, I remember a, that a time when I began to pay more attention to the habits and and just getting some basic things in my life that were going to help me grow. And the result of that has just been, I, I think, greater joy. And I'm not going to lie. There's a, a certain, um, I don't know, we, we, we're novelty seekers. And I think we're always looking for the new. Um, there, there's something about like setting a New Year's resolution that's actually a lot more exciting. Than practicing consistent habits and continuing to maintain old old solid habits that keep us growing. But man, I've just come to really see the power that um, we don't change through making big, grandiose plans, but by just keeping basic, simple habits and doing them over a long period of time. And the, I've just grown to see the results of that in my life, which has been really helpful.
0: Do you feel like Christians sometimes approach habits um in a poorer degree than sometimes those that are are non-christians i say that because i think of james clear's atomic habits i read any self-help guru they talk about habits right that's just foundational and they will. They'll guilt. They'll shame you. They'll, <laughs> they'll talk about habits from their cold plunge that they're having at 4.30 a.m. on their Instagram account, right? They'll, they'll talk about habits all day long, and then if you don't instill these habits, you're never going to grow, you're never going to build your business, and you know yada, yada, yada. Um, sometimes it feels low when we talk about habits in relation to the Christian life, then Christians sometimes kind of throw up their hands and say, well, okay, that's, you're falling into legalism here. Do you get any of that?
1: I do. I mean, in the old days, we didn't call them habits. We called them spiritual disciplines. And I think that what we're talking about is basically the same thing as that. But I do sense a fear. Like, yeah, it's interesting. Even the past few days, uh, I've been reading a number of blog posts about, um, you know, how important it is to develop good habits of being in scripture, for instance. And then I've seen the pushback of other people saying, but you don't have to, you don't want to fall into legalism. And I get the, you know, I, both sides are right in a sense, just like, you know, I have a habit now of every morning, the first thing I do, and it's, it's really good. It's not the first thing I do every day, but this morning it was the first thing I did was I made coffee and spent an hour with my wife and we just talk and for us, this has become a regular routine. There was a period in our marriage where we didn't have that. You know, just because I do that doesn't mean I'm doing it legalistically. I do it because it's life-giving. You know, I'm, if I said to my wife, like, I want to spend an hour with you because I just feel like it's an obligation <laughs> to yeah. maintain our relationship, she would look at me and say, what do you, it's a joy. Like, what are you talking about is an obligation. But uh, I think sometimes we fall into the trap of, uh, because we're so scared of legalism, we go to the other extreme of um, not emphasizing the that these are the ordinary means of grace that God has given us to do. That um, I always tell people the habits aren't the, the point. The habits are a means to an end. God right. is the end. As right. long as we're doing the habit for the habit's sake, we are in danger of legalism. But uh, when we do it for the sake of connecting with God, of, of meeting the God of this universe, it moves away from being a legalistic thing to, my word, I get to actually meet and listen to the God of the Universe this morning. Like, how would I, how would I miss that opportunity to do that? Doesn't have to be the morning, by the way. I said this morning, I, I wouldn't want to put that. This is where we can get legalistic, right? I think the legalism comes from, you know, it's got to be before you check your phone or it's got to be the first thing you do in the morning. Um, there's freedom in where we do it. We can do it in the evening. We can whatever. But uh, I don't know why we would ever miss that opportunity to do that on a regular basis. Yeah,
0: it's, I think of my, one of my mentors uh, back in the day. His name was James Keaton. And one of the lines that he said to me one day, he said, you know, something along this line. He said, you know, we'll never, um, never reap the fruits of the Christian life until we uh, master the—oh, uh, I'm butchering this. I wrote this about this the other day. But basically, we master the disciplines and live a disciplined life, right? And I've thought about that a lot because when I mentor someone— Who's a you know new disciple? If they don't have a strong habit structure, they don't get up on time. Uh, they don't get to get to work on time. They're a little bit you know they have poor work ethic. Um, all if they have about seven or eight different bad habits in their life, I found it's a lot harder for them to grow spiritually because they have to. Uh, you're you're almost working on two fronts, right? Contrast that, though, with someone who already has strong habits, and then mm-hmm. they come to the Christian life, I feel like their spiritual growth um, also accelerates as well, because they've already have some ha- habits in shape here. Elliot, he, he writes in, so he's the producer of our podcast, so I said, you know, give me a question here I need to ask. He said, <laughs> uh, how long does it take uh, to make something a strong habit?
1: Well, I mean, there is a myth in literature that, you know, it takes. I've, I've read different numbers of days, anywhere from 21 days to usually in the round of, uh, in the 20s, right? It takes
0: 20 some days to format. I heard 72 days the 72. other day. 72. I was like, what are we doing here? 72 days. And <laughs> the that's, real, a, that's a shout out to my friend Nate who, who got me that. So the real days.
1: answer is I have not seen um, any. Uh, you know, it's always good to find where did that number come from? I've never been able to find the empirical evidence of a study that says this is the number of days it takes to build a habit. I mean, it's so situational. It's going to be different for everybody. And, uh, yeah, I just, I think it's going to vary on circumstances, what the habit is, how hard it is. As are one of the things we, um, I learn a lot about habits from my wife who, um, is really, this is what I love about her. She's not a natural habits person. Um, I like routine. By the way, uh, Gretchen Rubin has written a book called uh, *The Four Tendencies*, and she writes about there's different four different kinds of habit keepers. And uh, the one are is, which is I what I am is an upholder. We love habits. We read uh, James Clear, we read Charles Duhigg, we read B.J. Fogg. We love books about habits. Well, we're only one. All those books are written by upholders, four upholders. But that's mm-hmm. like. Uh, only less than 25% of the population. And uh, she's taught me so much about habits. And one of them is, you know, again, if you're an upholder, it might only take three weeks or whatever. Explain what upholder. An upholder is somebody who's both uh, outwardly and inwardly motivated to follow a habit. And so if we hear a sermon and the pastor says, you ought to read the Bible every day, we go, oh, I ought to read the Bible every day. And we set that as a goal and we actually do it because we're internally motivated to do it. And, uh, or if somebody says, yeah, if, if we decide it's a good idea or if somebody tells us a good, it's a good idea, we just go ahead and do it. And, uh, you can always tell an upholder because you say in a room of people, you say, who here has a habit tracker? He has got a journal where you check a box every day that you've, or you've got an app on your phone where you, uh, record that you've kept the habit every day. Those people are upholders, but we're freaks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> praise God for people who are like that. But we, that's not everybody. And my wife, on the other hand, is not an upholder. She's uh, what's called an obliger. If she sets a habit for herself, she will not keep the habit because she's not internally motivated. But if if I come along and say to her, hey, how about we go to the gym uh, three days a week? Would you come with me? She'll be like, man, I'm all over that. And uh, she's going to be much more externally motivated by other people. So, yeah, I think the, the beauty is just recognizing, man, it's going to take, There's not one way to build habits, but habits are for everybody. So uh, we just got to hack ourselves and realize that we're not all the same. And so it's going to look different for all of us, and we're going to have to figure it out.
0: I never thought about it in those terms, but from a writing perspective, from a communication perspective, I think I threw this out on my Facebook several weeks ago. Do you like authors or communicators to give you the, um, basically give you the application? And it was about, I think it was about 50-50. Some said, yeah, I want them to give me the application. Because otherwise I don't know what to do. Right. Others said, nah, uh, I don't want that. I want to be able to figure it out for my own. And I tend to fall more in that category. If I get to the end, you know, let's take a pastor. If they share, get to the end of the message and then they say, "Okay, now here's what you need to do. I don't mind a little bit, but if it gets really, really super detailed, it kind of it almost loses some of the punch for me because I'm wanting to, you know, I naturally will go there. What you're saying is really, I think, insightful because it just shows that people are in different camps and that you have to communicate, uh, realizing that people apply things differently, you know, Mm. given their nature. Uh, Trevor, he writes, what is one of the worst habits that keeps us from hitting our goals?
1: Well, I I think one of the biggest habits these days across the board is distraction. And uh, we're just constantly bombarded with... Um, you know, social distraction. uh, Our phones are continual distraction machines. So, you know, it's hard to generalize. But uh, as I talk to people, one of the things I think that keep us from forming good habits is just we're always distracted with, you know, what's on X or what's somebody responded to my Instagram post or uh, I'm about to hop in the car after we're um, done this call. And you know, I I noticed a while ago that I'm never in the car and the radio is off. I'm always listening to a yeah. podcast or an audiobook. Yep. And sometimes I wonder what would it look like. You know, is this a just another form of distracting myself? Would it actually be good to drive for an hour in silence and actually take the time to think? Um, I've been reading lately about walking and the benefit of walking for an hour without headphones. I never do that. Whenever I walk, I am listening to something. So. Yeah, I just find in the morning, we, you know, first thing a lot of us do is pick up our phone. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing sinful about that anyway. But is it really leading to the results that we we want? So I think one of the things, one of the skills for Christians today is to fight this continual distraction by trivial things so that we can actually focus on what matters more.
0: Trevor Seath, I had him on the podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He lives in Toronto yeah. as well. But we talked about prayer walking. He does prayer walks all around the city. And I love that, right? Right. Another guy, uh, Tyler Stanton. I'd like to get him on sometime. He wrote a book called "I think it's uh, I think that's his name," uh, praying like monks, living like fools. And he talked about that when he got in the car. He'd always have to play something, and I, I'll full disclosure that's a little bit me. Uh, I naturally flip to listen to something, but there there really is value in that. So let me just, let me just focus on that for a moment because I know people listening to this. They're battling distraction, and I feel like things are only going to accelerate in the next few years uh, with AI, et cetera. Um, What's one thing that you've done maybe this past year or two that you found really life-giving?
1: The thing that gives me the most life, and um, I'm I'm trying to build this muscle even more, is a weekly Sabbath. And that's a day where... uh, you know, I heard somebody say when the scripture talks about keep the Sabbath day to um, to uh, honor it, uh, keep it holy. What that means, the word holy, as we know, means set apart. And, you know, in Eng- one way of putting that in English is to, to make the Sabbath day a day unlike any other. And so I had to move my schedule around. Usually it's a Friday, but this week uh, we had to move it to a Thursday. And my wife said this morning, I don't know how people live without that daily retreat from obligation where you just have a day to delight in God and his gifts uh, that he's given us. The rule we have in our Sabbath is basically anything that's an obligation, we don't do. And uh, every, it doesn't mean we don't do things that other people might see as an obligation, but uh, anything that feels like an obligation to us, we don't do. So, you know, we we have a routine of things and it's so life-giving because for a day I'm reminded uh, the world doesn't need me to produce all the time uh, in the end i'm dust i'm very limited there's going to be a day where i can't work anymore i'll be gone and the world will go on just fine without me i need the sabbath to remind me of my limits my creaturely um, and it's also a day where i try not to, to be online as much which is really hard because i feel this compulsion to pull out my phone and check you know what's going on who's who's X, I can't yeah, say, I yeah. want to say tweeted. Who's posted on X? Can't do and, it. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's just a day where I try to wean myself, a day of fasting almost from the digital barrage that um, is assaulting us on a continual basis.
0: You know, when October 7th happened, you know, the just horrible attack uh, in yeah. Israel, I one of the things that struck me is how much of the Jewish population didn't understand what had happened just because they weren't on any social media. And that, that really yeah. hit me. And I thought, man, yeah. I. I've, I've tried to work at that, but I'm not where I want to be there. I, I re- that's a point of emphasis, even as you're saying that that I want to grow in this year because you, when I take a Sabbath just just like you're saying, there is something so life giving about that mm-hmm. that it it just um it re-energizes you for the for the the coming week. Uh, Andrew, so he lives in East Scarborough, actually, so a few minutes from where you live. But uh, he says, how can you commit to good habits in Toronto, especially, uh, when life seems to focus on uh, just basically working to keep up with inflation and, you know, uh, basically the the hubbub of life? You know, how can you instill good habits when you're just basically trying to survive?
1: Man, it's very difficult. I think that um, we— Part of living in our world is living, learning to live counterculturally, and so when the world tilts left, we tilt right, and purposely taking actions to, um, you know, for instance, to slow down is very countercultural. As somebody said, taking a Sabbath is an act of cultural rebellion these days. To say that there's a day where I'm going to disconnect and not hustle in a, a city like Toronto where hustle is everything and um, I don't know where, you know, like, I don't know how th- things are different th- in, in, Toronto, everybody's in a rush. And, uh, when I, when I'm at a, a traffic light with an advanced turn, uh, where the light turns green and you get to turn left, if you can't make it to one second without somebody honking behind you, because they're in a rush, I get mowed down on the sidewalk by people who are running. And sometimes I want to say, where are you going? That's so important. I, so, I don't know the answer completely other than to say we need to take very countercultural steps to live in uh, rebellion against the way everybody else does. And uh, in the end of the day, though, it's hard. I think that I, I remember hearing John Tyson in New York City saying he loves the city, he's committed to the city, it's a place of, of hustle. And yet he finds that unless he goes to the mountains uh, in the rural area outside of New York City, his soul begins to die. And so, part of it means probably taking proactive steps to step, to, to leave the culture of hustle and hurry and occasionally get away and remind yourself that you know we we can't be defined by this there's got to be other uh, practices that form us other than the way that society lives by the way I think the th- same thing affects our church so um, I've been convicted as of how many times I've built a culture of hustle within the church of you know re- basically replicating the culture of I don't know if you've heard the thing that you know everybody's busy, and if a pastor is only working forty hours a week, you know he's got a. You know what about the person who's working seventy hours and then volunteering at the church? You need to be as exhausted as he is. The
0: speed and, of the leader is the speed of the team.
1: Right, and I kind of want to say, like, if everybody in the church is exhausted and at the end of their rope and living on fumes, maybe the call of people in ministry is actually not to replicate that out of guilt, but to, a point, uh, to point to a different way of living, of saying. We don't have to live in a perpetual state of exhaustion. Even within a city that's very busy, like how can we learn a way of life that makes room for our neighbor, that makes room for us to have healthy marriages, that allows us to take Sabbath? So maybe we don't need to keep up with everybody. Maybe we actually need to take deliberate countercultural steps to slow down, which is very difficult.
0: How do you find that balance between pushing yourself and then also good routines? I say that because sometimes... Uh, I've heard this criticism from pastors sometimes. They'll say uh, it feels like sometimes the people today, they'll talk about just—we have a lot of books now that write about the importance of taking time for yourself. And if it's not energizing, if it's not life-giving, then cut it from your life. Well, there are some things within the church, whether it's volunteer work, right, or whether it's helping those in need— those aren't necessarily in the moment life giving things. We might look at them maybe in the grand scheme, they're they life giving, but not sometimes in the moment. They're hard, and and pastors have sometimes said to me, "Well, and people just quit, and they'll assume that if something gets a little bit difficult or isn't rewarding right in the moment, they'll just stop volunteering." And so now, as a result, the pastor can't really talk to anyone about uh, you know whether it's uh, you know improving how they care for others or, you know, things like that, because people just quit because there's maybe a little bit of conflict. Um, So how do you balance that?
1: You know, I'm always struck by the fact in Luke 10, you have uh, the story of the uh, Good Samaritan, and, you know, who is my neighbor, and you have this extravagant display of service and love to somebody at great cost who needs help. And, uh, you know, should we be like the Good Samaritan who's ready to, to roll up our sleeves and sacrifice, yes. But in Luke 10, you also have the story of Mary and Martha, where Jesus uh, says to um, Martha, you know, you're concerned about many things. Only one thing is necessary to sit at the feet of Jesus. And, you know, if you, if you only had one of those stories, you would think that that would be the way to live. And yet I, I really think there's this uh, tension within the Christian life we're called to sacrifice. We're called to lay down our lives. We're called to, you know, to serve with reckless abandon, and at the same time, we're called to sit quietly at the feet of Jesus. And if you only do one of those, you're probably not living the Christian life as you should. And uh, so I, I just love that in God's providence, those are both side by side. And uh, I think Luke, you know, I'm amazed at the skill of the. Uh, gospel writers. I don't think it's an accident that Luke put those side by side because I think he was directing our attention to two elements of the Christian life. So, um, Ezra, I just find like almost every question that comes up in the Christian life, there's two ditches. And uh, many times I tend to fall into both of them, (laughs) sometimes (laughs) at the same time. And uh, I, you know, for instance, we
0: could get our, like, if we could map our sometimes spiritual journey, right? And get like a video montage of it. Oh, I man. Think you'd be like steering from one ditch into the other, right? It's
1: like bowling. I don't know if you've ever been bowling where yeah, you've, yeah. you've hit the gutter, uh, you've rolled the <laughs> ball down the thing and hit both gutters. It's like bounced in from one to the other. And it feels like a Christian life is like that. You know, I, I just spoke today to a group of uh, potential church planters. And one thing I said to them is, uh, there's only two kinds of church planters I know, lazy ones and workaholic ones. I don't know any church planter who's, uh, who's hit that healthy medium naturally. We all tend to either be lazy and not be doing our work diligently, or we tend to be you know, working way too hard where we don't have good, good margins and balances in place. So I kind of feel like that with the Christian life. We're always going from one extreme to the other. Pray, you know, pray the Lord gives us a Luke 10 kind of balance where we're serving sacrificially and yet taking time away and just sitting at the feet of the Lord and learning how to do that. We need both in the Christian life. It's very hard to get that balance, though.
0: I'll close you out with this. What's an indicator that you've hit that balance?
1: You know, for me, and this is going to I don't know if this is what you want to hear. I really need the feedback of others because I am not good at measuring myself. One of the best indications, I happen to be married and my wife will give me very honest feedback and occasionally (laughs) not as much, but she'll give me a, sometimes I think I'm perfectly fine and she'll look at me and say, man, you're in rough shape. You need to do better. So, um, man, I'm I'm self-deceived. I find it very hard to measure how well I'm doing. That's where other people come in handy because they can really tell you the state of, um, you know, my agitation, my uh, restlessness. So they're able to identify
0: that and help me see it. I told you last one but maybe one more real quick. Um for someone who's just starting this so it's they're in week 2 of January here, all right? Maybe they they're struggling a little bit with some of the habits that they have in an ideal world, right? We don't want to guilt anyone, but uh, in an ideal world, if there's maybe a couple habits that they could not necessarily put into practice overnight, but maybe work towards this coming year. Things that you think generally speaking for I don't know, 75 80% of people, these practices will generally be life-giving. What are just a couple of those that you think uh, would be helpful?
1: Yeah, I'll give you three. And uh, by the number one by far, the studies have shown the number one habit that uh, produces the greatest benefit for believers is actually reading uh, the Word of God. And this is not just my opinion or even Scripture, uh, although I think Scripture does teach that and it is my opinion, but studies have actually been conducted to say what. What habit produces the most benefit for Christians? And number one, by far, has been reading the Bible. And uh, the the second one that came up that's most beneficial for believers is actually being involved in a church. And in particular, I found two things: attending church on a Sunday or whenever it, it's held, but attending the worship service, and being part of a smaller group where you are part of a uh, you know, you're known by other people and you're sharing your life with them. And those two habits, uh, study, the, life uh, study by Lifeway has shown, um, actually are correlated with, um, godliness. They're correlated with spiritual growth. The third that I'll throw in, and by the way, I want to shrink that and say, like, I always tell people, um, in BJ Fogg, Tiny Habits, if anyone wants to, it's real, it's worth looking up. BJ Fogg has written a book called Tiny Habits. And uh, he says, we need to shrink the habit till it's so tiny that we can't fail at it. So I tell people, if reading the Bible in a year is too much, take the pressure off. Like read for three minutes a day. Uh, Do whatever you can if you're just starting out, and it's going to be a lot better than, um, you know, biting off more than you can chew and not being able to sustain it. The third and the third final and final habit I want to give people is rest. Uh, I think that we're so exhausted that. I, I'm not even going to tell you to take a full Sabbath day off. I want That would be good to shoot for. But if you begin with, you know what, I'm going to take an evening off a week. I'm going to begin to practice the Sabbath. Maybe I can't do a full day, but I can begin with an evening a week where I just, the laundry basket's full. I'm not going to do laundry. You know, the, the sink is full of dishes. I'm not going to do dishes. Tonight, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm just going to delight. I'm going to look at the sunset. I'm going to pray. I'm going to... You know, I'm going to enjoy a good meal that I didn't cook. Um, Yeah, I think those three habits, being in the Word regularly, being part of a church, and learning to rest, uh, those three are the ones that I've seen make the biggest difference in people's lives.
0: Next week, we're going to talk about the importance of reading the Word. I just encourage those of you that are listening or watching, go to the I'm working on a daily devotional that I release every day. You can check that out, be a part of it. it kind of walks you through all of Scripture in a year. I'd love for you to be a part of the journey. So our guest is Daryl Dash, and also he's the author uh, of a couple books called The Eight Habits for Growth and How to Grow. I encourage you to check them out on Amazon. And uh, Daryl, thanks for joining us today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Monday Christian Podcast. To support our vision and find new ways to put your faith into action throughout the week, visit themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.